Much has been said last week about how much the UCLA game could be that statement win for Arizona State, and indeed not only did the Sun Devils earn a precious conference road victory as an underdog, but the manner in which this win was achieved was certainly impressive. And much already has been said and will be said all the way up until the kickoff of ASU's next game as to whether this team can avoid the complacency and resting on the laurels after such a pivotal Pac-12 South win and now get ready on a short week, no less, to place a Stanford team that not only upset number three Oregon just last Saturday, but was able to early in this year knock out USC from the top 25 ranking. In this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast, we will review both the big win in Pasadena and what ASC will need to do to continue that momentum against a challenging Cardinal squad. So thanks for tuning in, and let's get this thing started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hood Rabino. And as disappointing as that loss to BYU on the road was a few weeks ago, Maybe it was the necessary so-called wake-up call that ASU needed because even though it did show some flashes during that contest, albeit a defeat, I felt that ASU definitely looked better against Colorado. And and I know the caliber of opponents between both programs is something that really should not be comparable. But ultimately, you can only play the next team that's on the schedule. That's what ASU did against Colorado, bounced back really well. And now when this game in the Rose Bowl against UCLA came up last Saturday, people thought that this could be BYU performance part two, ASU not playing well on the road, ASU playing a ranked team that is just as good, maybe perhaps better than the Sun Devils. And there really was concern whether ASU would show up, whether they can make, as I mentioned earlier, that statement win in the Pac-12 South against a team that, frankly, I think is probably the main contender for the division crown. Truth be told that there were some periods in the first half where ASU was once again administering self-inflicted wounds in terms of penalties, in terms of being a little too cute uh, with the play calling, with a sparky formation in a down and distance and time of the game that probably did not warrant that. So there may have been somewhat of a here-we-go-again attitude among the ASU fans. But what I was most impressed with that game is that ASU counterpunch every blow that UCLA was dishing out that night. And some would say that the last blow of the first half, at least, was administered by UCLA really by default when uh, DJ Taylor, the exceptional punt returner and kick returner for the Sun Devils, made a huge error in judgment, tried to feel a field a punt that really should have been just rolling towards the end zone. And even if it stopped short a few yards, there were only a mere four seconds on the clock left in the first half. UCLA recovers a fumble and ends the first half with a made field goal. Yes, ASU was still in front 24 to 23, but you felt that even a four-point lead, if UCLA was never to kick that field goal, if DJ Taylor makes the right decision, would still be a very fragile advantage going into the locker room. So a one-point advantage for ASU definitely seemed in peril and seemed like an advantage that really could unravel sooner rather than later in the third quarter. But not only does ASU score on the first possession of the second half, but its defense proceeds to actually shut out the Bruin offense the entire 
second half, something that probably hasn't happened maybe in a while uh, for for a Chip Kelly-led UCLA team, a team that was averaging 38 points coming into that contest, and it just boggles the mind that the last touchdown scored by UCLA on their home turf took place at the 11:51 mark of the second quarter. In my opinion, this was the best defensive performance in the Herm Edwards era in Tempe, especially when you talk about conference games. I know you can look at the pair of meetings against Michigan State. Uh, those were definitely a pitcher duel football style. That ASU defense played really well in both contests. When you look at other Pac-12 games since Herm Edwards has been here, I would probably point to the Utah game and back in 2018. I think that was a great def- defensive performance as well. But what was really more impressive, what you saw last Saturday in the Rose Bowl, is that, again, you were playing a team that had no problems whatsoever coming into that night, lighting up a scoreboard, and that Bruins squad fails to score even one point, and it's not like they had three, four turnovers. Yes, ASU had three sacks in the second half, but the way he really obtained it, the ball, especially in the waning minutes of the contest, was UCLA turning over the ball on downs in their last three drives of the night. And that fourth quarter stop by true freshman linebacker Eric Gentry deep in ASU territory, that is one play that if ASU ends up edging UCLA for the Pac-12 South Championship, you might be looking at that play and saying that that, perhaps more than any other play, is the most responsible for ASU being a division champ. If you recall... ASU was only up by nine points. If UCLA scores, which there was no reason to think that that they wouldn't be with such a potent offense, now becomes a a one-position game. And all the momentum would go back to the host. But that was just one example of a young player for the Sun Devils stepping up at the most opportune time. We saw defensive linemen B.J. Green and, and Garen Stansbury, two freshmen themselves, register sacks. Uh, Stanley Lambert, uh, old man in comparison, has been in the program for quite a few years now, but someone who, due to injuries, really had a hard time getting into the rotation. He gets his first ever sack as a a Sun Devil. You look at young defensive backs like T. Lee, like Mason Williams, and everybody is just putting in their, their fair share. So it's not even just the veterans that are contributing quite a bit. But the younger players uh, for the Sun Devils really showing how bright the future truly is for this ASU defense. Just think about the fact that two of their best defensive linemen, Jermaine Lole and Trevez Moore, gone for the season. Senior safety Evan Fields, one of the leaders, one of the best players on this side of the ball for ASU, was injured and and, and could not play. Linebacker uh, Kyle Soley ejected for a bogus targeting call in the second half. And you just have young players at every level of the defense stepping up, making plays, making their presence known in such an important game for the Sun Devils. So to me, that's even the icing on the cake of what was a great victory. Moving over to the offense, and this was by far the best balanced performance on this side of the ball for the Sun Devils. And the passing game, a factor which you heard me a lot of times in previous weeks, heck, in previous months for that matter, being mentioned as the X factor for this ASU team to truly have the best season they can have in the Herm Edwards era, really even have a shot to win the division, let alone win the conference, let alone even go beyond that. That was the one offensive aspect 
the one aspect I think of the team period that had to improve quite a bit from 2020 that had to show up and show up big. And we can't say we really saw that for the first couple of games. Even the loss to BYU, we started seeing some flashes. We saw even more of that against Colorado. The fact that ASU did pretty much shred in a very efficient way, but did shred a UCLA secondary, a pass defense that was ranked 126 out of 130 FBS schools, should not diminish what ASU was able to accomplish that night in the Rose Bowl. For starters, let's not forget that the flip side of UCLA having such a poor pass defense is that they do have a top 10 run defense, or at least they had up until last Saturday. So yes, this was a UCLA team that was winning the vast majority of its games despite such a poor pass defense just because they were making teams one-dimensional. But here's ASU, who already gained 64 rushing yards at halftime. Not a great accomplishment, definitely not in ASU standards, but keep in mind that UCLA was averaging, as a run defense, 67 yards. ASU ends up posting 172 yards on the ground. Uh, There were no sacks registered by UCLA, so great job by the offensive line, not only protecting Jaden Daniels as well as they did, but also providing outstanding rushing lanes for the ASU ball carrier. And not that the ASU ground attack didn't have a significant part in this win over UCLA, but this really to me was more more about the passing game and how well it did play. Granted, somewhat of disparity between the first half and the second half, but some of the numbers that we, we saw from this offensive element are just beyond impressive in my eyes. Jaden Daniels, 13 out of 18 for 286 yards. So you're talking about ridiculous efficiency. Jaden Daniels averaged 22 yards per completion. The offense was 4-4 four and four in the red zone. I mean, those, those are numbers that we definitely didn't see last season. We definitely didn't see even in the games this year coming up to the UCLA contest. So really an outstanding job bypassing game that you feel – Offensive coordinator Zach Hill is more and more comfortable in terms of the play calling, in terms of the game plan that he wants his players to execute. We talked about the big fourth down stop by freshman linebacker Eric Gentry and what happened to play later when ASU received the ball on downs is that Jaden Daniels, really almost in the shadow of his goalpost, if you will, has garnered so much confidence by Zach Hill that ASU's offensive coordinator calls for a big pass play down the field to tight end Curtis Hodges. When you talk about ASU receivers last year and even the year before, I don't think many, if any, were as maligned as Hodges was. And we saw a lot of good signs from him even before the UCLA game earlier this season. And you talk about a vote of confidence. Again, not only Hill with Daniels, but also Hill and Curtis Hodges to make a huge play 49 yards down the field. And it's not that ASU is able to get such a better field position to begin with. But to me, that was a back-to-back backbreaker. I know that's a mouthful by the ASU defense with that fourth down stop by Gentry. And then a play later, Jaden Daniels finding Curtis Hodges for a huge passing play down the field. And you just knew at that point that this game was over. And sure enough, that play began in scoring drive of 11 plays, 96 yards. Absolutely demoralizing for the UCLA defense. 
And honestly, not the type of drive that we see from ASU offenses in general, no matter who's the offensive coordinator at the time. But it was just one of those nights where everything went right for this ASU offense. The efficiency was really off the charts. And I would be remiss not to mention some other skilled players that really shined over here. Jordan Porter only had one reception for 47 yards. But when you talk about the downfield threat that this offense may be missing, I think Porter reminded Everyone, even with that lone catch, which was part of another scoring drive in the first half, that he definitely has those capabilities. So until players like Brian Thompson and Elijah Badger can knock off the rust of not playing for several games earlier in the year, uh, good to see Porter step up. But needless to say that when it comes to stars in the passing game, it was definitely Ricky Parasel, the local wide receiver from Tempe, Corona del Sol, Four reception, 132 yards, two touchdowns of 65 and 54 yards. When that player got in the open field, it was good night, Irene. Uh, there was this no member of the UCLA secondary that was able to catch up with him, not even within 10 yards. But more importantly, aside from those impressive numbers and impressive performance, I think Ricky Parasol is now the answer to the question that even Zach Hill honestly did have in the beginning of the year, who is going to be that number one wide receiver for the Sun Devils? Who's going to be the go-to wide receiver for ASU? I think Ricky Parasol definitely showed a lot of signs even prior to the UCLA contest that he could be that guy. And if anybody had any doubts concerning his potential role in this ASU passing offense, this masterful performance against the Bruins definitely establishes, at least in my opinion, that Ricky Paracel is that number one slash go-to wide receiver for ASU. And that only increases the level of confidence, increases the comfort level that Zach Hill now has with his players to execute any given game plan. The comfort level that Jaden Daniels now has with his wide receivers. And he knows that Ricky Paracel can bring this to the table. He knows even a tight end like Curtis Hodges can be a great receiver whether it's down the field for a big play or maybe just for a quick five, seven yards that I needed for a first down. We talked about Jordan Porter. And even players like L.B. Buckley Shelton, who may have had somewhat of a quiet night but still had a good game against Colorado. Johnny Wilson obviously did not play against UCLA, may not play against Stanford on Friday, but even in the game against Colorado showed that he is able now to take the next step as a young wide receiver. So, Slowly but surely, you're just seeing all the pieces really starting to fall in place for the ASU passing game. You see players with the defined roles and how it can match whatever play calling, whatever game plan Zach Hill has in store. So that was a very, very encouraging performance by the passing game, which you can almost guarantee is always going to be complemented by a stout running game. And that was the case against UCLA. DeMonte Trainum returns to the lineup, reminds us, as if we need a reminder, what an elite running back he can be. But more importantly, and that's something I did talk a lot in previous weeks, that him coming back would really, really help Rashad White and his production. Because granted, yes, Rashad White is scoring touchdowns on the regular. You don't want to take anything for granted, but it pretty much is a given that every game White is going to suit up, he's going to score a touchdown. But more importantly, His average yards per carry were 7.7. I don't think in any of the games that Trainum did not play, 
and remember, he did not play since the season opener leading up to the UCLA game, that White even came close to producing those numbers. There were more carries that White did have to tally each and every game in Trainum's absence. White only carries the ball for nine times and makes the most out of it, to say the least, scoring two touchdowns and posting 69 yards. So again, as, as talented as White is, Trainum being back in the lineup, and Trainum actually had 15 carries that night, really helps White be that more efficient. White also had three receptions for 38 yards. So just the return of a talented player such as Trainum really creates a domino effect, not only in the running game, but even also in, in, in the passing game. And let's not forget, ASU was playing the best rush defense in the Pac-12. And even though it was maybe somewhat a quiet of a first half, the second half, ASU registering 108 yards on the ground was another demoralizing factor, if you will, that ASU was able to demonstrate Saturday night at the Rose Bowl. I'll end the conversation on the UCLA game saying that we expected the defense to carry the ASU offense, to carry the entire team more often than not. And I know it's easy to look at the raw box score and see an ASU defense that pitched a shutout in the second half, thinking that maybe Saturday night's win was just one of those instances where the ASU defense really had to do the heavy lifting to get this team over the finish line and register a precious Pac-12 South Road victory. But make no mistake about it, this ASU offense absolutely complemented a great effort by by the ASU defense. This ASU passing game, which showed some really encouraging signs the last two weeks, played an outstanding game. And in the second half, the ground attack was able to do its thing. So in terms of a complete victory by the offense, by the defense, by the different elements of each side of the ball, I really don't think you could ask for a more complete effort on both sides of the ball for the Sun Devils. So sure, Beating probably your biggest contender for the division championship on the road, no less, is a great achievement. And that's something that should put a big smile on your face as an ASU fan. But what should make that smile even wider is what I mentioned in my opening, is the manner that this victory was accomplished. And especially from the offense, especially from the passing game and what they're able to display. But for every team to be successful, for every team to improve itself from week to week, you have to have a real short memory And for a short week coming up for a somewhat rare Friday night game, ASU now needs to turn its attention, and already has days ago, to a very challenging and very interesting Stanford team, which we're going to talk about next. Full disclosure, in the preseason, I did call the Stanford contest a possible landmine game for ASU, sandwiched between a road game to UCLA and a road game to Utah. Needless to say, those two teams being the main contenders for the division championship, that this Stanford game on a short week, no less, could be a potential problem. And I do feel that this contest will be a dogfight, and maybe the dogfight we expected to see 
in the Rose Bowl last Saturday. We saw it in the first half. Duffy did not see it in the second half. So maybe this game on Friday does offer us an opportunity to see a true back and forth last for all four quarters. As mentioned earlier, what is the mindset of ASU? Because you know that the veteran leaders, the coaches are preaching all day, all night. Do not be complacent. Put that UCLA win behind you. Take what you need to take from it, but just make sure that one of your takeaways is not cockiness. That even though you absolutely control your own destiny when it comes to the Pac-12 South Championship, that does not mean that you're just going to cruise, roll out of bed on game day, show up and win just because you beat UCLA in the Rose Bowl last Saturday. So when you talk about challenges with this Stanford team, it's a very atypical challenge, at least in my eyes. I'm sure I know Andrew Luck wasn't that long ago that he was a quarterback for the Cardinal, an outstanding quarterback, probably one of the best Pac-12 quarterbacks period that I've seen in covering ASU for the last 21 years. But Stanford is much more known for a ground and pound. Stanford is much known for really frustrating you with you trying to establish a presence in the run game and maybe giving up some concessions, if you will, in the passing game. And this Cardinal 2021 version is really the total opposite. What do I mean by that? Their quarterback, Tanner McKee, has to be, at least in my eyes, if not the biggest surprise, at least in the top three in that category in the entire Pac-12. Granted, not a new player on the Stanford squad, but backing up uh, Davis Mills, the outstanding quarterback that Stanford had last season, a quarterback that led the Cardinal to four wins in a row to conclude the 2020 season. Tanner McKee definitely was a very good pupil because he has been an outstanding signal caller for Stanford in 2021. Coming into this ASU game with 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, just around 65% completion rate. Granted, not having a eye-popping passing game average, just around 220 yards, but somebody who absolutely has made this Stanford offense more complex, exercising much more imagination than head coach David Shaw has been willing to display in recent years. So I think we might look back at this game, no matter how well ASU does do in 2021, and point to Tanner McKee as the best pure passing quarterback that ASU has faced all season long. So I definitely think that the Sun Devils are going to have their hands full with McKee and with that passing game, they are going to miss their best wide receiver, Bryson Tremaine, who already had five touchdowns on the year. He's gone for this week, maybe even gone the long term for the Cardinal. It'll be interesting to see how they can compensate for that loss. And obviously they did somewhat of a good job because uh, Tremaine did have to leave in the middle of the Oregon game. And that was a game that the Stanford Cardinal were able to pull out in Palo Alto in overtime. When it comes to their uh, ground attack, it's actually near last in the entire Pac-12. They do have really talented running backs, in my opinion, in Nathaniel Pete and Austin Jones. But I don't know if it's just a matter of Stanford doing so well in the air against something you do not expect from a Cardinal squad that the ground game by default uh, is taking a back seat to the Stanford aerial attack. So 
if you're ASU, you definitely want to make Tanner McKee's life as miserable as possible. But be mindful that he is a quarterback that operates very well out of the pocket, can show some ability if, if he needs to. And with Stanford, it's never just being mindful of their wide receivers, which are normally very physical, are going to win a lot of one-on-one matchups, and this Stanford squad is no different. But you always have to be on the lookout for the tight end. And as impressive as we are with what the ASU defense is able to display so far in 2021, we know that Rex, the tight end for BYU, did give them fits a few weeks ago. Greg Dulcich, a very talented tight end for UCLA, definitely had his moments in the Rose Bowl last Saturday. So ASU is going to have to do a somewhat better job defending the Stanford tight ends, making sure that this passing game doesn't start clicking, which inadvertently or not can really revive a running game for Stanford, which, like I said, has not been impressive at all in this 2021 season. Very unexpectedly, you would say, when you talk about the DNA of your typical Stanford team. When you look at the Cardinal defense, the fact that they are dead last in stopping the run, uh, to me, is still something that's very hard to re- reconcile. Again, just watching Stanford as an ASU beat writer from the turn of the century, seeing a squad that has a really, really difficult time even somewhat slowing down an opposing ground attack. Is this one of those figures where you just do a double take, a triple take at a stat sheet just to make sure that your eyes are not deceiving you? But here's a challenge for Arizona State. Uh, granted, when you look At the statistical categories, the Stanford passing defense only averages 191 yards yielded. So you'd think that on paper, maybe ASU would really be content to run early and often. And even though the passing game has showed so many strides, reaching what coaches, I guess, would hope is just a temporary peak in the UCLA game, that it simply is too tempting watching the Stanford defense on film and their struggles stopping the run, not to really employ that element, which is certainly in the wheelhouse of the ASU offense, certainly a facet of this offense that everybody by and large feels very comfortable with. And maybe just have the passing game based more on play action, maybe not really taking that many chances down the field just because you really don't need to put the ball in jeopardy if your running game is going to have more or less the same results as every other team that did face Stanford this season. I have a feeling that even though the deficiencies of the Stanford defense are very clear, that it should not prevent ASU from really not letting their foot off the gas when it comes to the passing game, being as complex, being as creative as they can and as really as really they should be. Even a game like like UCLA, and true, that secondary is a worse unit than the Stanford one, but ASU being able to really establish the earlier attack as much as they did in the first half and then really letting their running backs go to work in the second half was a formula that worked really, really well. If you're Stanford, you're probably expecting ASU to simply deploy their biggest strength against your biggest deficiency. But I have a feeling that after what I saw from Zach Hill and his play calling and his game planning against UCLA, that he's really going to try to catch this Stanford defense off balance. So don't expect 
ASU to be very content in just a ground and pound for a good majority of, of the first quarter, maybe even a long stretches of the second quarter. I really feel that this offense is comfortable enough to, to mix things up and really be as complex as possible to make it that much harder on Stanford, a team that even though they did beat USC very convincingly on the road is not really known to be that good of a, of a road team. So this is definitely a winnable game for ASU. And I think more than anything, not so much the physical aspect, but the mental aspect is going to be very important for the Sun Devils to truly show that the UCLA win is behind them, that they're taking this game with the utmost seriousness, with the utmost focus. A short week, what Stanford did against Oregon, I think should be plenty reason for ASU to not even have an ounce of cockiness in their mindset, in their preparation uh, for for this game. But as we know many times, not only on the college level, but even in the NFL level, that seems to be easier said than done. And that may be a bigger obstacle for ASU to conquer in order to win this game rather than just your classic X's and O's. We have a lot of content already on our front page at devilsdigest.com. And some of them is premium content, great film analysis by our staff member, Cole Topham. So to make sure that you're not missing any of the features uh, that we have up right now and that we'll have leading up to Friday night, make sure you become a premium subscriber on our website, devilsdigest.com. We'll have in-game coverage, we'll have post-game coverage, and we'll have a podcast next week following the Stanford contest. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, have a great week. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town